Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you that you are a, a great, an awesome, a holy, a righteous, a just, a sovereign God, a God who, who's meeting us here tonight. And Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher. Father, we desire that your Holy Spirit would instruct us in spirit and in truth, that you might be glorified, that, Lord, we might be conformed more to your image. Lord, we know that without you we can do absolutely nothing. So, Father, again, we pray, Lord, that you would inhabit our, our time together. And, Lord, we dedicate this time to you and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, quick review on the first 23 verses of Mark. Last week we covered the first 23 verses, and I titled the message last week, Tradition or Truth. Because you look in God's Word and you even see that even in the times of Jesus Christ, there was a lot of people who were caught up more in tradition than they were the Word of God. And that hasn't changed. And some of the tradition that we saw in the first five verses of Mark, we saw the Jewish religious leaders of the day who openly came and sought to criticize Christ. They would follow him around and wait for him, just watching to see if he would break one of the traditions. Obviously, the Lord never broke any of the commandments or the Word of God because he is God. Amen? And that's contrary to his nature. But they would watch and watch his followers, his disciples, and, and they would come down on him for grabbing the heads of grain as they walked through a field, which was actually permitted by law, but was against their tradition. And we saw other things that they did where they said, well, you don't wash your hands in the most ceremonial way as you eat. And they, they really ridiculed them for tradition. And the Lord, we will see later, rebuked them and called them hypocrites. And this group came to Jesus again, not seeking counsel or wisdom or godly answers, but they came to criticize. And you know what, having been a pastor for however many years I have, 12, 14 years, whatever it's been, you know what, there's always that element even in the church today. There's people that come, and they don't come to be blessed, they don't come to hear from God, they come to criticize. And not that, not that the pastor's above reproach in, in that sense that you can't come and have a question, but there are some people that they'll go to every church in town and criticize everybody in town everywhere they go, and they'll base it not on the Word of God, but based on traditions, the way they like things. And so we see that there's nothing new under the sun, that that was happening back in the days of Jesus Christ, that they were critical. And virtually every complaint and accusation, again, was based on traditions, never on points of faith. And when you come to Jesus, again, we need to come with a heart to worship Him to learn of Him, to say, Lord, I need you. Amen? Not coming with a self-righteous attitude, but that's how they came. So we see in verses 6 through 13, last week we looked at that Jesus rebuked them for being hypocrites. The word hypocrite means to wear a mask. It's where somebody puts an outward appearance that's different than what's really in their heart. And God, you know, condemns that heavily. And they drew near to God with their words, with their songs, with their traditions, but their hearts were far from Him. Remember, the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And it's not about how godly we've got other people duped into believing that we are. Let me say that again. It's not how godly we have other people believing that we are. That's not what matters. It's not how righteous and religious the world may look at us and believe that we are. It's not, it's not what robes we wear and how many times we go to church. That's not what it's about. Again, man looks on the outward appearance, but the real key is what is our heart when it's laid bare before God? in our intimate one-on-one relationship with Him. You know, the word reputation means what we do when everyone's watching. The word character means what we do when no one's watching, except God. Amen? And God has called us to be people of character, people who serve Him, people who live lives sold out for Him and His glory. Salvation has always been an inside-out process. A lot of people think the only way I can be saved is i got to do all these good things so that I will be acceptable before God. It's kind of like saying, I need to you know, clean up before I jump in the shower. And the reality is, the greatest thing that needs to happen is I need to come before God with a broken heart, contrite before Him and say, Lord, I'm wicked, 
I've been separated from you. I'm a sinner. I need you to be my Savior. And that's when salvation comes. And when we've been born again, then fruit will be bore out in our lives. Then in verse 14 through 23, we see him announce to the whole multitude that the source of holy living, again, comes from within. From, not from traditions, but from truth. And he will declare null and void openly that he said to them, it's not the things that you take in and that you eat that make you righteous. Because the religious leaders of the day really were stuck on the, the diet of people. And they would say, you know, you can only eat certain things in a certain way, and you know, you're only, especially on the Sabbath, and boy, they were so ritualistic, and basically they just placed this huge burden upon people. And right here the Lord foretells something He's going to show Peter in the book of Acts, where He's going to say, you know, no longer do we have clean and unclean food. What we're going to have from now on, and basically he's breaking down the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because that was a wall that the Jews only ate certain foods, but the Gentiles, you know, the dirty dogs, could eat whatever they wanted. And the Lord was going to minister to the Gentiles, and he was preparing the hearts of those who followed him. So while the religious leaders were self-righteously sought to place others into bondage and to elevate themselves, Jesus was breaking down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles. So that brings us to the text tonight. And tonight we're going to look at three miracles that... Time permitting, Lord willing, we're going to look at three miracles that Jesus performed for Gentiles. And it's interesting to me that, you know, the Bible always fits together perfectly. You know, I love God's Word. You know, it's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? All other books change. Every other philosophy changes every other day. But the Word of God is a living, breathing Word. And you know what? It applies to our lives today just as much as it did when it was written down thousands of years ago in most cases of the book. So let's take a look tonight, beginning in verse 24. And again, we're going to look at three miracles. And Jesus is going to practice what He had just been instructing the disciples. And He's going to give them examples of what He had been teaching them. That there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. That all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. So let's pick up in verse 24. It said, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So he left out of Capernaum, where he'd been performing these miracles, and he went to Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. You know, it's interesting to me that it says there that he could not be hidden. Tyre and Sidon is actually, some, some commentators I read said this is the only time that Jesus Christ left Palestine, the area of Palestine. And, and you know, I didn't get a chance to really research that in depth, but basically he goes out into Gentile territory. Not Samaria, which was still, you know, inhabited there, half Jew, half Gentile, but now he's going out into Gentile territory, and he's going to do some miraculous works. But what's interesting to me is he left the crowds at Capernaum, and he went out with his disciples to a place where he could instruct them. He could prepare them for the fact that he was about to die, and the fact that they were going, the ministry was going to be left in their hands. But it says that he could not be hidden. You know, I've shared this, guy, this story with you guys before, that when I was a little kid, I used to love to sing all the Jesus songs. I used to sing them with my kids at home. And one of my favorite was, This is the light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Have you guys heard that song before? Right? Hide it under a bush. Oh no, I'm going to let it shine. Now the reality is, that we as believers have the ability to hide our light under a bush. But you know what? You can't hide the sun under a bush. Amen? You can't hide the S-U-N and you can't hide the S-O-N. Amen? Because it says right here that he could not be hidden. You know, when Jesus Christ went somewhere, everybody knew it. Because he's the son of the living God. We can hide our faith, we can hide our testimony, but, God, but Jesus Christ being God could not. So he went to this place for privacy, an opportunity again to further prepare them. He travels about 40 miles, 
And we're going to see him meet a woman. Look what it says in verse 25. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. Now, there's a companion text that we covered some months ago. It's in Matthew chapter 15. And I'm going to, I'm going to pull some details from there because it's the same story, being one being told from Matthew's point of view, the book of Matthew being written specifically to the Jews, and then also from Mark's point of view, with more of a Roman touch. So it says here, this concerned mother shows up. Now we know from Matthew's text that this woman was a Canaanite. Now what do we know about the people from Canaan? They were idol worshipers. So this woman came who was an idol worshiper. And I want you to see some things about this woman. There are going to be many problems and many things that would bring division or hurdles in her coming to God. Many things that would bring division. Many things would make her feel like she wasn't worthy. But I want you to see the awesome faith of this woman. This Canaanite woman, this woman from a land of the Gentiles. It says, first problem, I'm going to give you several problems. The first problem was her nationality. She was a Gentile, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was the Messiah who was coming to the Jews. Matthew 22 tells us again, that 1522, that she was a descendant of the ancient Canaanites who were bitter enemies of Israel and they were idol worshippers. They were pagans. And so that's the land that she came from. Those are the people she had lived with. Tyre and Sidon, the city that he's gone to, was the home of someone you might have heard of from the Old Testament by the name of Jezebel. That's where she was from. Okay? So that, the first problem was her nationality. The second problem, look at verse 26. The woman was a Greek. The second problem is, and don't take this wrong, but the second problem for her was she was a woman. In those days, women were not thought of in very high esteem. Women were not allowed to go in the inner court in the synagogue. Women had to be in the outer court. Why? Because they were considered less than men. And so she was a woman, she was from a land of idol worshipers, and she was coming to the Lord. Her third problem is it says there, back in 25, she had an unclean spirit, her young daughter had an unclean spirit and had heard about him. This unclean spirit meant her young daughter was demon-possessed. So her third hurdle was that Satan was against her. So her first problem is that her nationality, she's a woman, Satan is against her, and one of his demons had control over her daughter's life. The word here for young daughter means that her daughter was very young. Three, four, five, six years old. If you look in the original context, she was a little girl. So can you imagine having a little girl who's demon-possessed? Can you imagine the broken heart of a mother trying to... And do you think she may have already gone many other places trying to get answers to free her daughter? No doubt. It doesn't say it in the text, but no doubt I'm sure that's true, that she was trying to find a way to free her daughter from this. But again... Out of her love for her daughter and her desire to see that change, she went to the Lord. Amazingly, this woman, who had grown up in such an ungodly place, recognized Jesus for who He is. Look what it says at the end of verse 25. She came and what? She fell at His feet. Who does God minister to? Who does God touch? Who does the Lord touch? Not the self-righteous and holier than thou. He touches those who are humble, who fall to His feet. You know what? You never see anywhere in the Bible where someone falls at the feet of Jesus and He rejects them. He doesn't reject the adulterous woman. He doesn't reject the prostitutes. He doesn't reject the leper. He doesn't reject the woman with the issue of blood. But who does he reject? Who does he call hypocrites? Those who think that they're righteous in and of themselves. Those who don't see a need for a Savior. It also says in Matthew 15.22 that she cried out when she fell at his feet and said, Have mercy on me, O Lord. And she called him Son of David. What is Son of David? What kind of term? It's a messianic term. So she, wait a minute, this woman is from the land of idol worshippers, the land of pagans, and she comes and calls him Messiah. She says, Messiah, son of David, you're the answer. 
We're seeing more faith in her than we see even in the most religious of the Pharisees. They came critical, picking, trying to find something wrong. She came seeking God. Didn't question or criticize Jesus as the Pharisees had, but instead she cried out for mercy. Verse 26. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. Now listen to me. Her fourth problem was that Jesus did not initially respond to her. The word she kept asking is written in a tense that she asked over and over and over and over and over. And it says in Matthew 15, 23, and he answered her not a word. How many of you have ever felt like that in your prayer life? Raise your hand. You've prayed and you've asked God something and you feel like you've asked him over and over and over. And Lord, you're just not listening. Let me tell you something. And I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. The Lord is always listening. We pray in our time, God answers in His perfect time. Amen? He answers when it's according to His perfect will. And He's going to answer this woman. But initially, if you look at it from a physical point of view, I'm not from this land. I'm a Gentile. I'm a woman. My daughter's demon-possessed, so Satan is even against me. And now the, the Lord Himself is not responding as I come to Him and I ask Him repeatedly. I've turned everywhere else. I'm at a moment of desperation. I've fallen at His feet. I'm crying out. I'm looking for the answer. It also says in the other text that disciples were against her. The disciples said, it says in Matthew 15, 23, they said, send her away. Disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. So not only is the Lord not responding, but now here his followers are saying, get that woman out of here. Get her out of here. Now again, at any of these points, it would have been easy for her to just go home. It would have been easy for her just to give up. And sometimes, even in our own life, in our prayer time, as we're seeking after God and we feel like we're alone in something, you know, the enemy wants us just to walk away and give up. But understand and know that God is always there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Keep on asking. Keep on trusting. Verse 27. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So problem number six is for a moment it appears that even Jesus is against her. Because if you look at this allegory, we're going to look at it in depth in a minute, if you look at it from an outward appearance, it would seem that he's saying to her, my word is only for the Jews, and you're a Gentile, you're a dog, you have no value, get out of here. So this woman is facing insurmountable problems. Jesus, but Jesus is not rejecting her here. He's, try, he's not trying to be difficult. Rather, he's speaking to the woman from an allegory, revealing deeper truth for those who truly are seeking Him. Kind of like how, you know how parables are. We talked about this when we went through the parables of Matthew. When the Lord speaks in a parable, it was always revealing a deeper truth to those who were truly seeking Him, and it veiled the truth to those who were not looking for Him. And the Word of God is very much the same. I can read the Bible, and I'm blown away on every page. I don't care. And you know what? It's very hard for me to look at a chapter anywhere in God's Word when I don't see Jesus including Leviticus. Give me Leviticus, I'll show you Jesus in there. Why? Because everything points to the Messiah. But you know what? You give that same Bible to someone who does not have the Holy Spirit, and it's a book to them, and they just don't get it. The Holy Spirit has to open their eyes that they might see. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Matthew 15, 24, he told her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. 
He told her, I wasn't sent. I was sent to, the lost, to just the lost sheep of Israel. So here this woman is, from a physical perspective. Let me sum it up again. She's a Canaanite, which is the enemy, uh, enemies of Israel. She's a woman, not highly esteemed. Satan is against her. Though she kept asking, Jesus did not respond to her. The disciples were against her. They tried to send her away. Jesus himself even appeared to be against her. As he said, I was not sent except for the lost sheep of Israel. So how does this woman respond? Does she give up and go home? Does she quit? Does she say, oh, God doesn't care about me? And you know what? I think probably all of us have been in that state at some point in our lives. We're praying about something, and we think God's not listening. God's always listening. How do you respond? When from a physical perspective, things seem overwhelming. When you're facing opposition. When you're praying and it seems like there's no answer. Or when you get the answer and it's not the one you wanted. How do you respond? Do we trust in the sovereignty of God, really? Do we really have faith in Him? Because if we do, no matter what the answer, we say, praise the Lord. Amen? No matter what happens, because we trust that God knows better than we do. You know, I think having small children, God has taught me so much about my relationship with Him in an even deeper way. Because sometimes I will discipline my children when they don't understand. But it's because my, I'm, I'm a loving father that I do the things that I do. I will swat my kids to keep them out of the street because I love my kids. All they feel is a hot rear end, right? But the reality is that as a dad, I love my kids. And the Lord will do the same thing to us. He, those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. And you know what? Sometimes I won't give my kids what they want immediately. Sometimes I want them to wait. I want them to understand and learn. And the Lord will do the same thing with us. And so what happens here is, instead of turning away in despair, she cries out to Jesus. In Matthew 15, 25, it says, she worshipped Him. In the midst of all of this, without the response, she fell to speak. It says, she worshipped Him. And she cried out and said, Lord, help me. That's a great prayer. Amen? She prayed out loud for everybody to hear, and she said, Lord, help me. That was her prayer. That's a great prayer. You know, a lot of times we want to get flowery prayers. We want to impress people with our religious vocabulary. I think some of the greatest prayers are, help! That's a good one. Amen? We need to cry out. What did Peter do when he was sinking in the water? Help! That's a good prayer. And what happens here, the woman cries out and says, Lord, help me. She had nowhere else to turn. She cried out to the only one who could help. This is a true act of faith. You know what? If you are in the midst of a trial, try worshiping. I said this beforehand. Worship takes my focus off me and it puts my focus on God. Amen? Why do I struggle with my circumstances? Because my focus is on me. Why do I struggle with the things going on, the cares of this world? Because my focus is on me. But when I put my focus on God, when I think about His love, His grace, His mercy, His sovereignty, His omnipotence, meaning He's all-powerful, His omniscience, meaning He's all-knowing, His forgiveness, His holiness, when you think about how great our God is, and you realize that you're His son or His daughter, man, doesn't that bring peace? Amen? Because one of two things happens when you do this, when you take the focus off yourself and off your circumstances. Instead, you meditate on the character of God. Either our difficulties become so insignificant that they fade away, or we come to the realization that only He can help me. Amen? You know what? I don't need to seek the counsel of men. I need to seek the counsel of God. I don't need to get a popular vote from what the ungodly people at work think. I need to seek God. I need to trust God. And Lord, bring me to the point where I say, help me. And maybe sometimes the reason God isn't answering our prayer, and He, say, and he does answer them all. He says, yes, no, and sometimes He says, wait. Amen? And that's an answer, by the way. Wait is an answer. And as we're waiting for the, the ultimate answer that we're looking for, maybe God's bringing us to a place where we put all of our trust in Him. 
You know what? I know that when I've gone through trials that I always come out closer to God. How about you? Amen? If I didn't have any trials in my life, it'd be hard for me to grow. If I was on the Christianity cruise ship, you know what I mean, right? It's all good, going to heaven, everything's great. If there was never any bumps in the road, man, it'd be hard for me to grow. But when trials come, when difficulties come, when illnesses come, when struggles with my children come, when financial problems come, when things are going on in my life, it gets me to fall on my face and say, Lord, help me. I've tried to do it my way. It's not working. I've sought, I've sought the counsel of everybody else in the world. Lord, you're the first place I should have come instead of the last one. And here this woman is. That's exactly what she's done. And she comes with great faith, and she falls down and worships at his feet, and she says, Lord, help me. That's a great prayer. And Jesus responds to her cry with this allegory, verse 27, where he says, Let the little children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now this would seem to be a slam. What I believe is it's God's way of opening up to her an opportunity. Because the Lord said that he, the gospel is for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Now, the word here for children refers to the Jews. The word bread refers to Jesus Christ himself. He is the bread of life. Amen? The dogs is a Greek word for a pet dog. It doesn't mean, you know, a street, it's a pet dog. And it's referring to the Gentiles. Now Jesus is saying, basically, I paraphrase it, since I've come first and foremost to the house of Israel, my primary focus must be to the Jews. Now she could have said, oh Lord, that doesn't seem fair. She could have said that, right? Well, wait a minute, you know, it's not my fault I wasn't born a Jew. She didn't do that. Instead, she looked at her position. Look at verse 28. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. She humbly comes before him. She accepts, accepts her place. If I'm, a, if I'm a puppy, that's okay. It's all right to be a puppy in God's kingdom. And humbly accepted her place, believed his word, persisted in her plea, and said, I understand you're working with a certain priority, but Lord, even the dogs get the scraps from the table. You know what she's saying? Lord, even a crumb from you is going to be enough for me. I've tried everything else, but Lord, if you'll give me even a crumb from you, that'll be sufficient, because there's nowhere else for me to go. Lord, if I could just get a crumb from you, that'd be plenty. Man, I love that. And Jesus had not been trying to destroy her, but to develop her faith. Because don't you see her faith growing and getting stronger as she's sitting at his feet? If she had just come and he'd instantly healed her daughter, I don't think she would, have, she would not have grown as much. But as she persisted, as she continued to seek after God, as she didn't let the obstacles overwhelm her, you know, it says in Matthew 15, 28, that you know what the Lord, the way he responded to her was, O woman, great is your faith. And the word he used there for woman in the, in the original language is a term for endearment, and it's the same word Jesus used when he spoke to his mother. And that's how he spoke to her. He said, woman, great is your faith. Do you know that he only talks about great faith twice in the whole Bible? And it's to the centurion who came to the Lord, a Roman centurion, another Gentile, and to this woman. Isn't that awesome? You know, it looks like from the, from the beginning that she's overwhelmed. It doesn't look like it's going to work. It looks like the obstacles are, are insurmountable, but she keeps pressing in and trusting in God, and pressing in and trusting in God. And I want to encourage you, if you're here tonight, you're going through a difficult time, and I know that some of you are going through some very difficult times right now, because as your pastor, I've prayed with you, and I know. But let me tell you something. Keep pressing into the kingdom of God. Amen? Keep, keep at His feet. Stay there. Trust Him. In the midst of trials, worship Him. Seek Him. He loves you. 
And He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And it says in verse 29, that He said to her, For this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. Because of your faith, because of your faithfulness. Great faith. Now what do we learn about great faith from this woman? Let me tell you some things I wrote down about great faith. Great faith remains steadfast in the midst of dire circumstances. You know, I said this last week. When you squeeze a Christian, right? When you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. When you squeeze a Christian, you should get Christ-likeness. Amen? It's easy to be a Christian when everything's perfect. But how do you react when the guy cuts you off on the freeway? How do you react when when your boss cusses you out? How do you react when something that's totally unfair from the world's perspective happens to you? Well, if we react like the world, then we're like the world. But great faith remains steadfast no matter what the trial or the circumstance. Remember back as we were looking at the, as they went through the sea, and they tossed and turned in the ocean, and everybody was bent out of shape, and they were crying out, and the fishermen thought they were going to die. What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. And the reason that they panicked is they had their eyes on their circumstances instead of the eye, their eyes on the Master. If they had looked at Christ instead of looked at their circumstances, they probably would have laid down and taken a nap. Amen? But instead, we're going to die! We're all going to die! We're perishing! God, don't you care? And the same thing can happen in our lives. That when the difficulties come and the trials come, great faith has its eyes on the Master, not its eyes on the circumstances. The second thing we see is that great faith is not destroyed by Satan's attack. You know what? And again, the Bible says we're not even to address Satan. Great, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And there's nothing, Satan can't do anything to you unless God allows it. Did you know that? So why are we, you know, and we give Satan, I think we give Satan sometimes way too much credit. A lot of times it's just poor old stinking Dave, right? Sometimes it's just my flesh. But you know what? We give Satan too much credit. And the reality is that if we are being attacked, what better place to run than to the Lord? Amen? He's a, Satan's a defeated foe. He's done. It's game over. He knows where his future is. Next time he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Amen? Because that's where he's headed. It's, he's done. Great faith is patient. Oh, that's a hard one. I don't like that one, right? Amen? Through the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience. That's a hard one. To be patient. Man, I, Lord, I want your will right now! Right? Isn't that how we, most of the time we do it? Lord, I want your will right now! But we're patient. Keep seeking the Lord in prayer. Keep trusting in God. That's an example of great faith. Great faith worships in times of great despair. You know what? I was in a, uh, I've been in places where people are going through difficult times. And it blows me away to see people who are laying on their deathbed just worshiping God and having the joy of the Lord. You know, Christians die well. Amen? I've done funerals for believers. I've done funerals for unbelievers. It's no comparison. I don't even like doing funerals for unbelievers. It's an opportunity for the gospel, but boy, what can you say? Not a whole lot. But if somebody knows Christ, it's an awesome and a joyous event. And you know what? You can worship in your times of great despair because it gets your focus off of yourself. So great faith also has an eternal focus. takes focus off me and places it upon God. Continues to trust God no matter what the outcome. That's the examples of great faith. It says in verse 30, When she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. You know what? Whenever God promises something, you can take it to the bank. Amen? It's a done deal. And God doesn't change His mind, and aren't you glad? Amen? God has promised you that you are going to heaven. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father, and you're going to heaven. I've said this before. When we have difficult, most of you guys know I work full time, and at work, there's several Christians, and you know things get 
squirrely and stuff happens and books are closing and bosses yelling and, you know, and the phone's ringing off the hook and everybody's starting to panic. And you know what? One of my favorite things to say is just stand up and go, hey, we're going to heaven. Everybody, oh, amen. Everybody just, it's all over after that. Amen. It's getting our focus off the world and getting our focus back on the Lord. So now we see as we move on, that was the Canaanite woman. Now we're going to see Jesus as he deals and heals a deaf and a mute man. Verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region to Decapolis at the Sea of Galilee. That word Decapolis just basically means ten cities. Deca is ten. So Decapolis means ten cities. So he went to this place of ten cities. Now, if you look at the other text, before he left the region where he was, he healed many. And when he went out, they were glorifying and praising his name. So he leaves that place, this place of Gentiles, and he goes away to the... Again, seeking privacy, but what happens? Divine appointment. To the region of Decapolis and the Sea of Galilee. Verse 32. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment of his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. Now who's this they? I love when I see the faith of others bringing people to Christ. Amen? Remember the story, Through the Roof? Right? Remember the story where they bring the lame man and they show up and there's so many people pressing in on Christ that they can't get their sick friend to the Lord? So what do they do? They don't stop, and this is great faith. They climb up on the roof, they cut a hole in the roof, and they drop their buddy down right into front of Jesus. Can you imagine if the roof opened up and down he started coming, right? And they, they had him hovering right above Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, your faith, oh, made you well. The guy got up and started walking. And you know what? When people bring people to the Lord, what an awesome thing that is. And you know what? As Christians, are we not called to do the same thing? Amen? The Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? To all the world. That doesn't mean you have to leave town to be a missionary. Do you know you're a missionary when you're at work? Do you know you're a missionary in your neighborhood because this is not your home? So wherever you go, God has called you and He wants to use you. He wants you to be like Philip and Andrew, one who brings people to Christ. Some of you might say, well, man, my test, it's hard for me. I can't share my faith. Well, you need to pray that God will equip you better to do that. You need to spend time in His Word. But I'll tell you one thing you can do. You can tell Him, this is what Jesus did in my life, and what are you doing on Sunday? Amen? We can do that. And start praying for your mission field, and pray that their hearts will be softened. Well, these, these men grabbed their buddy, whoever they might have been, it says they brought him, they brought him to the Lord, and said, Lord, look what it says again in verse 32, they brought him, one who was deaf, had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. This deaf man with a speech impediment, they brought him to the Lord, then they begged him. To me, it's a picture of intercession. They're interceding on their buddy's behalf. Please heal him. Because you know what? The deaf man couldn't speak. Uh, some people suppose that maybe he had lost his hearing at some point in his life because he had some kind of speech. Most people that have been deaf their whole life have a very difficult time speaking at all. But he had some kind of speech, but it was something that people could not understand. And he was deaf. And praise the Lord for these guys with their heart and their burden to intercede on his behalf and bring him. So he was deaf, so he was unable to be taught in a very clear way. I don't know how developed sign language was back then, right? I mean, how much could this man really learn? He could have read, but it would have been difficult. So it was difficult for him to be taught. But the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The dumb man was unable to communicate coherently. And those, what's interesting to me is, that these guys, where did they go when this difficulty came? I love that. They could have gone to the world. They could have gone to the speech therapist, right? And again, nothing wrong with the speech therapist. That's a great thing. And they could have gone and sought what the world's answers. But instead, these guys intercede on his behalf, and they bring him to the Messiah, 
They bring them to the Lord. The Bible says that we as believers should walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Because those who are spiritually dead, deaf, dumb, and blind are void of understanding until they are touched by Jesus Christ. You know what? Freud can't give me any counsel. Did you know that? He needs my counsel if you're still alive. Why? Because he needs Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you know that in him all the answers ex- exist? Everything is in Christ. You need an answer for life? Jesus is the answer. You need an answer for merit? Go to the Lord. Amen? No matter what's going on in your life, you need to seek the counsel of God. And it, and it grieves me that so often, well, this person has a degree. Well, this person has studied. Well, they study what a bunch of other dead guys have to say. And, I, you know, I used to say to my youth group, if you're going through a difficult time, do you drive down to the morgue and slide open one of those drawers with a dead corpse in there and seek some counsel? Hey, what do you think I ought to do, right? I mean, everybody would, you'd be in a padded cell, right? But yet we do that. We go to the world and we ask the world for counsel. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. When you are going through a struggle and a difficult time, you go to the Lord. You know what? The Bible is the answer for everything that ails you. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Crack this thing open. God's Word has the answer for everything. And you know what? I love that these guys looking said, you know what? Let's take them to the Lord. Let's take them to the place where the answers are. Verse 33. And he took him aside from the multitude. You know what? I love that. I love that. Can you imagine this multitude is pressing in? And can you imagine Jesus Christ grabbing a hold of you and pulling you aside so that he can minister to you? How awesome is that? The Lord cares about every single one of us individually. Amen? He knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that's less than others. But you know what? He knows how much hair you have on your head. Because He cares. He loves you. He cares about every single detail of your life. And He takes this man who no doubt, again, he's deaf. He's broken away from the world. He can't interact with society. He comes and there's this multitude pressing in. And the Lord loved him enough to reach out and pull him aside and minister to him. Look what he does. I love this. Verse 33, the rest of it. And he put his fingers in his ears. Now that might seem weird. Why would the Lord put his fingers in his ears? I believe this is the Lord using sign language. Here's what he says to him. This man can't understand. The man is deaf. The Lord calls him aside and he puts his finger in his ear to let him know. I'm getting ready to heal this right here. This is what I'm getting ready to do. I want you to know this is what I'm getting ready to do. I'm going to give you back your hearing. And the Lord reaches in and touches his ear. And you know what? I'm always blown away that the Lord is always touching people. Amen? People that nobody else wants to touch, and the Lord does it. Then look what it says. And he put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. He reached in and touched the guy's tongue. Now, that's probably not a real comfortable thing for most people, right? But the Lord reaches in and he touches his tongue. What is he telling him? I'm going to give you back your speech. I'm going to give you back your hearing. And I'm going to give you back your speech. He pulls him aside. He locks out everybody else at that moment. And he's ministering to that one man. Man, I love that. Because you know what? That's what the Lord's willing to do with you. He's willing to lock out everything and just and minister to you. That's our God. He loves you. He cares. So look what happens. Verse 34. Then looking up to heaven, what does he do? The man's looking at him. He puts his fingers in his ears. He touches his tongue. Then with the man looking at him, he looks up to heaven. He's, Jesus Christ himself is letting him know where the healing's coming from. Amen? He looks up to heaven. The man's staring at him. He looks up to heaven. It's coming from the Father. Jesus Christ is the Creator. He can heal all things, but yet he always submitted to the will of the Father. And he always gave glory and honor to the Father. Amen? So he looks up to heaven, 
so the man could see. And then look what it says next. It says he sighed. Now that word is the same word for groaned that we see throughout the Bible. And he sighed an inward groan in our Lord's compassionate response to the pain and sorrow of sin that has been brought into the world. Most of you know the story of Lazarus, right? John chapter 11. Lazarus was uh, the brother of Mary and Martha, and Lazarus died. The word was sent to Jesus Christ that he was dying. And the Lord waited four more days, and he went, and Lazarus was dead in, in the ground. And when Jesus came and saw everybody weeping, and that Lazarus was dead, what did he do? He wept. He cried. You know why Jesus wept? Jesus wept at the consequences of sin upon this world. And he's sighing here and groaning in his heart at the consequences of sin in this man's life. Not necessarily his personal sin, though he was a sinner, but the fact that the sin of the world has brought people to be deaf, has forced people to not be able to talk, has caused people to die. And what he said to Lazarus was, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus came hopping out of the grave. I like that. That's good. Amen? But you know what's awesome to me? He said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he had said, come forth, every dead person on the planet would have got up. Because our, our God has triumphed over sin and death, and you know what? He's, he controls death. Amen? And anybody who's dead, if he just says, come forth, they get up out of the ground. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. But here he comes, and he sighs, and he groans within his heart. And in, in, in uh, Romans 8.23, it says, Even when we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, we groan within ourselves, longing for the day. It's a spiritual utterance. It's a point of longing. How many of you long for the day when you're going to heaven? Man, I can't wait. Heaven's going to be awesome. And however awesome you think it's going to be, it's going to be way more awesome than that. Amen? And I can't wait for that day. And it's a, it's a spiritual utterance. It's a groaning within his soul. It says in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for us as we ought, but the Spirit Himself make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So even there's times we just cry out from our soul and we just groan in our spirit and we're, we're reaching out to God. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's sighing from the depths and, he's, and He is God. And look what He says here in the rest of the text. He looked up to heaven, He sighed and He said to Him, Epapha, that is, be opened. An Aramaic word, be opened. The man, now, could the man hear Jesus say that? No. But you know what happened? The creation heard the Creator. And you know what happened? The guy's ears opened up, and he started talking. That's our God, amen? Can our God still do that same thing today? Can He still heal people today? You know, when I, I think I told the story. When I was 13 or 14 years old, downstairs in that auditorium, I had been diagnosed with a tumor up here, up in this sinus cavity behind my cheekbone, and I was going in to have some pretty invasive surgery done where they're going to have to cut part of my cheekbone away. I was going to have to have a plastic surgery, all this stuff. And they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And we went back in, and my mom said before they pre you know, got me ready for the surgery and the schedule, do one more set of x-rays. They're like, Mrs. Johnston, we've done four sets of x-rays. The dentist has done them. The doctor's done them. The surgeon's done them. We don't need any more x-rays. Do one more set. We'll pay for them. We don't care. Did the x-rays. Guess what? No tumor. That's our God. Amen. And he can do that kind of stuff to his glory alone. And so what happens here, this man starts speaking and his ears are open. And imagine the deaf mute. Imagine the change in this guy's life. Imagine the difference in his heart. Immediately his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loosened and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more they widely proclaimed it. You know what's interesting to me? It'd be pretty hard. And again... I don't know that it's, it's indiscretion maybe even more than it's disobedience. Can you imagine if you couldn't talk? Can you imagine if you were deaf and then all of a sudden somebody healed you? 
Wouldn't you want to run and tell everybody? Amen? Man! I mean, first of all, you go home, you're talking. There's, a, there's obviously a problem. You've got to tell somebody something happened. Amen? I mean, you're talking, man. You can hear me. What happened? Oh, nothing. <laughs> the Lord said, go away and say nothing. You know why? The Lord's desire was not that He would minister then and there to the Gentiles. He wanted not to minister just the healing touch that He had. He wanted people to come to be taught the Word of God. He wanted them to come for the Word, not for the miracles only. And so often what would happen is whenever He did a miraculous Word, guess what? Here came the crowd. We're going to see that in the next chapter because the Word got out. And look what it says here. It says here, and the more, the more He commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And I talked about how that's an oxymoron for what's happening today. God told them, tell no one, and they told everyone. God tells us, tell everyone, and we tell no one. Amen? We're supposed to tell everybody. And you know, it's, it's been said that the, the, most people, I forget what the percentage is, I saw it in Christianity years ago, but it was some ridiculous number, like 89% or something, of Christians will never lead a single person to Christ in their lifetime. Now, again, we don't lead people by our eloquent arguments. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. But the Holy Spirit uses vessels that are available. Amen? And if you're available, God will use you to reach out and touch people. If you start looking at the world as one big divine appointment, an opportunity to share your faith, guess what? I promise you. I guarantee you this. You go home tonight and you pray for an opportunity to share your faith on Monday. And you pray for everybody you know you're going to come into contact with. I promise you, you'll share your faith on Monday. Because I've prayed that prayer a thousand times and I've done it every single time. Not because of me, but because of God. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes my heart. Amen? And you know what happened? This guy was so excited, he went around and said, this guy Jesus, just like Lazarus, was a constant testimony because he was a dead guy. If you used to be dead and now you're alive, that's a testimony. Amen? If you're walking around like, I was at his funeral last week. Something's up. I mean, that's an opportunity to share the gospel. And if you were walking around and couldn't talk and couldn't speak, and all of a sudden you're singing worship songs walking down the street, people are going to go, what happened? Oh, it's Jesus! It was down over here. You've got to go see him. He touched me, and I'm not, I, used to, I can hear now, and I can talk. And you know what? I tell you something. As, as miraculous as Lazarus' miracle was, and as miraculous as the deaf and dumb man being able to hear and speak is, the miracle of you becoming a born-again Christian is just as dramatic. Amen? And you know what? It's the same kind of miracle that you have, the same kind of impact on us. We ought to be like Lazarus and say, yeah, I used to be dead, but I'm not dead anymore. Amen? I used to be deaf to the things of God, and I'm not deaf anymore. And you know what? I used to not be able to speak the things of God, but I can't help but talk about my Lord and Savior anymore. It's all I want to do is tell people about Jesus. It's all I want to do. Why? Because I'm a new creation in Christ. You know what? We're supposed to be conduits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should be flowing out of us. And you know what? As Christians, we need to be contagious. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? We should love people so supernaturally to say, what is up with you? It's Jesus. That's what it is. Amen? And we should be different. And, we, we should, and people should see us. And if, you're not, if people know you from before you were saved, and they know you now, and they don't see a difference, something's wrong. Amen? I was over in my office not too long ago, and there's a guy in my office who told everybody he was a Christian, and everybody started laughing. That's not a good response. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. They're like, oh, yeah, here you are. <laughs> that was purple. No, really, I'm a Christian. Like, dude, you get drunk all the time. You live with you. Oh, well, stop. You know, and he's like, no, really, I'm a Christian. If you have to convince people that you're saved, that's not good. Because when you're truly born again, you're going to bear fruit. Amen? 
You're going to bear fruit that you've been born again. You're going to be walking around talking like this guy now. You're not going to be deaf anymore. You know what? I was going to go in chapter 8, but I'm not going to do it. Okay? We'll pick up there next week. But let me read the last verse. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. You know what? True miracles... Worship team, why don't you guys come on up. True miracles will always glorify God. Amen? The truly miraculous will not glorify men. It will glorify the Lord. And when God does something awesome in your life, give Him the glory. Give Him the praise. Give Him the honor. Worship Him. Lift up His name. Let's close with a word of prayer and then we're going to sing a praise song. And I love again, just in closing, that both the Canaanite woman and the deaf man, God touched them both for one reason. You know why He touched them? They came to Christ with desperate need. They didn't come to Christ trying to get Christ to minister to them on their terms. They came and said, Lord, help, I need You. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I need a Savior. Not, Lord, I'll give you one hour every other Sunday morning. Not, Lord, if it fits into my schedule, I'll try to spend some time in Your Word. It was crying out saying, Lord, I need You. You're the only place that I can find help. And there is only one answer for what ails the people 2,000 years ago and ails the people today, and that's Jesus Christ. But we must come to Him humbly. We must seek His touch, and He'll never turn us away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord, that You do care. And I thank You, Lord, that You're a loving and a merciful God. And Lord, every other religion, every other dead religion, they want to take from us. But Lord, all You did was give to us. All You did, You came and You suffered and died. You took our sin upon Yourself. And your arms are open wide, just saying, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray for those who are in the room tonight, Lord, that haven't come to you, that, Father, you'd soften their hearts. And those who are going through difficult times, Lord, that they would put all their trust and their hope in you. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship and honor your name. You're such an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship.